Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. One, two, three, break! Down the middle of the field, it is caught! Loose football! Who's got it? the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And here with me to break down the week seven action of the Alliance of American Football is our resident AAF expert, Ian Harditz, the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also, use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Ian, you were just in Las Vegas there celebrating March Madness. How was it? It was good, man, but I was out of my element. I don't know a dang thing about college basketball, so I'm happy to be back discussing uh, something that I feel at least confident that I can name more than five players in the entire league about, which I feel like I'm definitely in the minority of people on this earth that can say that about the AAF versus college basketball. Yeah, I know that uh, there's Zion Williamson, and I know that there's a guy whose name is similar to uh, Jorah Mormont from Game <laughs> of Thrones. But other than that, I pretty much don't know anything. But uh, yeah, it is everyone's favorite time of the year. And I'm not talking about March Madness. I'm talking about the stretch run for the AAF. There's just one month of action left in the regular season. So Ian, let's jump into week seven. And it kicks off earlier than normal. The Saturday game is at 2 p.m. Eastern instead of the normal 4 p.m. time. So everyone making your fantasy lineups, be sure to be aware of that. And it starts with the Orlando Apollos at the Atlanta Legends. Apollos were undefeated until last week when they uh, ran into a hot, hot shots team. But uh, we will talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah, this is eight and a half in terms of the spread for the Apollos, which I'll just say, I think that line is egregious. I think it should be closer to like 12 or 14 or so. I don't know, but I have no respect for the Atlanta legends, but uh, the over under is 42 in uh, any news and notes for this game. Yeah. It's worth noting for those that uh, didn't catch that their loss last week. I mean, yes, the Apollos lost, but I'm positive. They outgained Arizona. They have more first downs in Arizona. They were down within the 10 yard line with only four seconds left. And then they got like a, false start penalty that had a 10 second runoff otherwise they would have had a chance to do like a last second shot in the end zone to potentially win that game so i'm with you this line just seems like it's four points too low and seems like a pretty severe one week overreaction for a team that's still easily the best team in the league from everything we've seen so but yeah as far as injuries goes orlando is almost 100 percent healthy they got some guys in the injury report but everyone's at least limited so nothing too severe there and then uh 
their side of the ball, Atlanta, they lost their starting left tackle, Brandon Pertile, to the IR. So he's out indefinitely. And also Irvin Phillips, their wide receiver, and their running back, uh, Lawrence Pittman, aren't starters, but there are plenty involved. Uh, they're also operating at less than 100%. All right, let's talk about the matchups here. The Orlando offense, best in the league, going against Atlanta defense that really hasn't done much to this point. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you said it, man. I mean, Orlando's the best in the league, and it's hard to overstate just how dominant they are everywhere. They average the most yards per carry at 5.45, and second-best team, Arizona, is like a 4.6, so massive discrepancy there. And then yards per pass attempt, they're first at 8.26 as well, so Run the ball, throwing the ball. I mean, Spurrier and those guys have just been killing it all season and easily been the most efficient offense from week one on. And, yeah, Atlanta, they haven't been awful on defense, but they definitely haven't been good either. Uh, PFF actually gives them their single worst team coverage grade. They've made up yeah. a little bit with the middle-of-the-road pass rush, but it's not anything close to a defense I would think has a shot at slowing down, again, what we consider easily – best offense in the league and i think we are looking at the clear-cut number one team versus number eight team in the league just look at yeah. the point differential orlando's at plus 67 that's easily first atlanta's at minus 87 that's easily dead last so this is a massive massive mismatch man yeah i mean and and the big mismatch is this offense against this defense we have the team that has scored the most points in the league going against the team that has allowed the most points in the league I'm amazed that the Legends have won two games. I mean, I think it's a stretch for them even to have won one game, considering that they've been outscored by 87 points. Let's look at the other side of this, the Legends offense going against the Apollos defense. And the Apollos defense, I think, is a little undervalued here in that everyone talks about the offense, and and that makes sense. Those are the players you see, and the offense is scoring a lot of points. But the defense is... I think been kind of undervalued. What are your thoughts on this matchup? I agree with you there. And really the only time we have seen the legends look competent has been Aaron Murray's first two games when he did come off the bench and he's making some good throws downfield, being pretty efficient with the offense as a whole, but kind of saw that fall apart last week. He got back to making some pretty ill-advised throws, he even got benched uh, later in the game for something called Peter Pujols. So we'll see uh, how, <laughs> how that situation shakes out under center. But yeah, man, this, this Orlando defense has actually overtaken Birmingham as the league's number one unit in a fewest yards allowed per pass attempt. Keith Reeser has been like the best cornerback in the league all season. And th- yeah, that pass defense for Orlando really is what makes them uh, so special. And this Atlanta offense, again, when they've moved the ball, it's been Murray. Like They really have not been okay with running the ball all season. They've had Terry and Folston, who showed out a little bit two weeks ago. He went right back to kind of a 40-40-20 split last week. So it's a team that really does not want to run the ball, and they haven't wanted to run it all year. And I think that is kind of their only chance to move the ball in this game. So, yeah, it's all turning up for Orlando again. All right. Well, from the Vegas perspective, I mean, I'm clearly leaning, I think you're with me, uh, Apollo's minus eight and a half. I mean, really, I don't, I don't know how far this line could move for me not to bet the Apollos. And then even past that, how far it would have to move for me to think about betting on Atlanta. Really, even if it were like, Atlanta, I, don't know, I guess Atlanta plus 20, I would probably, <laughs> I would probably do it. But no, this, this line seems pretty egregious. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it seemed like the uh, first part of the year, the biggest mismatch of the week was usually represented by a 14 to 16 point line. And 
yeah, they're getting away from that this week. And I, I just don't see any reason to, to have the feeling that Atlanta deserves that amount of respect. We've seen them lose this year by 31 points, 16 points, 12 points, 34 points. I mean, they've consistently gotten smacked around pretty much all year. And Orlando coming off a loss, you know, may Spurrier's got the boys up and ready. You know, they got the motivation back. We'll see how they do it. But yeah, man, it's like we've said this whole time. Number one team versus number 18, you can't set the line high enough. Yeah, even if we assume that last week the Apollos actually were outplayed and beaten in a, a significant way, I still think this line would be bad. But when you take into account the fact that they actually were just as good last week as the team that beat them, uh, I think this is a, a massive overreaction to what happened last week. Let's talk about the second game on Saturday 8 p.m. Eastern, the Salt Lake Stallions at the San Antonio Commanders. Stallions 2-4, and four, the Commanders on top of the Western Conference at 4-2. and two. The Commanders are favored by 5, 5.5, with an over-under of 40.5. Any injury news and notes here? Not too much. Salt Lake, their defensive tackle, Mike Perso, and really good pass rusher, Carter Schultz, are banged up, but they were at least limited in practice, so expecting them to play. Big thing for Salt Lake is Josh Woodrum in these last couple of weeks that he's a kind of had more of a chance to recover from that early season hamstring injury, has started to look a bit more mobile and more confident uh, hanging in the pocket. So that's been good to see for that offense. San Antonio ball, a few more question marks. Uh, Mikhail McKay, their number one receiver, has been out with an ankle injury this week, and Demarcus Ayers with a lower leg injury. So if those guys can't suit up, we'll have uh, exposure to Greg Ward and Alonzo Moore in DFS at some reduced price tags. All right, let's look at this matchup. The Salt Lake Stallions offense going against the San Antonio Commanders defense. This doesn't seem like all that intriguing of a matchup, but uh, anything catch your eye? Yeah, so the one thing with San Antonio, it seemed like their defense had separated themselves as potentially the league's worst unit. But these last two weeks, we've seen them play real opportunistic football, doing a great job forcing a lot of turnovers. And the reason for that is because they have the league's second best pass rush, at least in terms of PFF and a lot of their pressure metrics. I mean, they have six combined defensive linemen inside of PFF's top 25 overall D linemen. Like, that's how they're making their money. They're getting to the quarterback, forcing them to make bad decisions. But this week, Josh Woodrum, I think, is the quarterback best equipped to kind of fend off that pass rush. He's easily had the quickest release time all season. I mean, he's, we've seen uh, the Mornay Pierce now just eat out of the slot because he's consistently getting these quick-hitting, high-effective, you know, Julian Edelman-esque quick passes that they're just trying to shred defenses on again and again and again. So San Antonio has allowed the most yards per carry and the most yards per attempt in the league. If they haven't been able to force these turnovers, teams are going to move up and down the field. I think Salt Lake has a good chance to do that this week. All right, let's look at the other side of this matchup. We have the San Antonio offense against the Salt Lake defense. Man, I don't think we're ever going to see Marquise Williams now. It's been like three weeks since uh, Logan Woodside has even missed a snap. Fair play to Woodside. He's put together uh, back-to-back best performances of the season. He's been really efficient looking to throw downfield. But I don't know. Their blowout against uh, Atlanta last week was a bit deceiving. They got helped out by a pick six. They also had a punt return touchdown from Greg Ward. So, yeah, they blew out the worst team in the league. But we have still seen the San Antonio offense, for the most part, work as an above-average unit versus, like, a game-breaking unit that really needs to be feared. So that paired with their, again, underwhelming defense outside their pass rush. I think San Antonio is just a little bit overrated right now coming off their two-game win streak. But the one part you got to love about San Antonio is their skill position players because Kenneth Farrell and Trey Williams have been an effective backfield all season long. Now wide receiver, we've seen each of McKay, DeMarcus Ayers, 
Greg Ward. And Alonzo Moore makes some splash plays in the passing game. Even Evan Rodriguez, their tight end, had a, a nice touchdown last week. So a big point in my Fancy Lab ZFS breakdown was really look to attack Woodside and some of these receivers because we are in the Dome. San Antonio's back home for the first time in a month, and they got plenty of firepower. So even if the San Antonio defense can get their pass rush going a little bit, I think this is a game that we can see both offenses move the ball with some success. Yeah, what what kind of annoys me a little bit about San Antonio is that I like all of these different pieces, but they're never as productive as I want them to be. You know what I mean? Like outside of, of Mikael McKay, who has pretty steady target volume. I mean, out of DeMarcus Ayers, Greg Ward, and Alonzo Moore, you never really know which one of those guys is going to go off in a game. And Kenneth Farrow, his, I mean, he's had some moments, but he's also been fairly inconsistent. So, like, how do you kind of balance those things of knowing that you have these, like, this, this group of players who look good, but on the other hand, they're not producing in the way that you want? Yeah, so you said, I mean, McKay's been the outright number one. So if him or Ayers do end up missing this game, that would really go a long ways towards uh, clearing this uh, situation up. But Greg Ward, even if his targets have been down a little bit, we still have seen him play 65, 70, 70% snaps every single week. Also, he's getting uh, chances to throw the ball, getting reverses. Last week, he had maybe the swaggiest punt return touchdown of the season. The guy's been a playmaker, and they do a good job of getting him the ball all game long, kind of like a Jalen Marshall for Orlando. You know, one of these slot skill position players that is just good enough that they're going to scheme him touches no matter what. So, I mean, if McKay plays, that's fine. If DeMarcus Ayers is out, that would be really great because then Alonzo Moore could slide in through wide receiver sets. It's been Ayers and Moore that have kind of been eating into each other's snaps. And because of that, they're only playing 30 to 40% of the snaps because we've seen both those guys have their big moments. Like you said, we've seen everyone have their big moments, but it has been uh, pretty crowded. That's the same thing with the backfield. I mean, if they get up, we've seen Kenneth Farrell, you know, have up to 30 carries in the game. But uh, it's tough to see him really pulling away from Trey Williams if we just have a ho-hum game script. All right, talk about uh, the lines. Uh, are you leaning in any direction? I like Salt Lake plus five and a half. I'm not nearly in love with this as I am with the Orlando pick. But we've seen the Stallions really play everyone close all season. I mean, they've uh, only, only once against Orlando uh, since week one have they failed to keep things within one score. Even that game was only a nine-point loss. So uh, even when they've been losing, they've at least been able to stay in the game because, again, Woodrum has been playing better. He's been playing mostly, you know, uh, turnover-free ball, taking care of it, making good decisions. So even if uh, the commanders, I think, might have a little more talent overall, I, I will take the points and trust Woodrum and those guys to keep things close. Yeah, this was actually the line that uh, Sean Corner early in the week floated to me. So before he releases his lines, he'll create some tentative lines and he'll say, okay, would you bet this? And the line he created was San Antonio five and a half. And I said, like, I think it should probably be maybe like four. But, you know, so I think there is some value on Salt Lake uh, if you're getting five and a half points. But yeah, I would agree. It's not nearly the value that you're getting on Orlando. Going just a little bit deeper into this matchup, if you look at them on a uniform basis, which I think is very underrated, uh, I clearly give the edge to the Stallions with their blue and silver unis, which are a little bit like Cowboys, uh, baby blue light. Whereas the Commanders look like a college team to me with the red and the purple. In fact, the Stallions uniforms look so good that I'm almost wondering if they were made by Mac Weldon. Uh, and of course, if you've listened to the pod before, you, you probably know how I feel about the Mac. That's what I call it, or Mac Daddy or Mac Dub. Uh, it's the best clothing company in the world. 
maybe even the solar system. But it, we might put people on Mars within a decade. That might happen. And if it does, when the astronauts show up on Mars wearing their Mack Weldon created space gear, at that point, I think it's likely that Mack Weldon would be the best clothing company on that planet as well. All the Martians would be like, hey, what are you wearing? That looks awesome. And the humans would be like, this is my Mack Weldon hoodie. You can order it online through a really convenient website that's super easy to use. It's got a sleek design. It actually makes shopping fun. That is literally the first conversation that astronauts will have with the local populace when they land on Mars. Or if aliens from another planet ever came to this planet, if maybe they attacked us by surprise, we would undoubtedly emerge victorious as the superior species because we would be the creatures wearing Mack Weldon. Uh, we would look and feel so good, so comfortable, so ready for anything. Thanks to our Mack Weldon underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that we would defeat any invading species from space. The underwear especially would come in handy. I figure if we were actually in a war situation with aliens, you know, in wartime, personal hygiene and cleanliness would probably be deprioritized a little bit. Uh, you maybe wouldn't have the time to shower every day because you'd be fighting aliens who aren't wearing Mack Weldon. Well, good thing that this underwear is made of silver, which is naturally antimicrobial to eliminate odor. If you don't like your first pair of the best underwear in the solar system, they will give you a refund and you get to keep the pair. Don't be behind the times. Get some Mack Weldon. It is literally what separates us from every other creature in the known universe. For 20% off of your first order, visit Mack Weldon and enter the promo code ACTION at checkout. That ad uh, took something of a turn. I, I wasn't really expecting it to go there. It went a little bit dark, fighting aliens. But sometimes you have to embrace the darkness to appreciate the light. Like the Arizona Hotshots. They started the season 2-0, and then they lost three games in a row. It was a dark stretch. And then last week, on the road, they emerged victorious against the Orlando Apollos, giving them their first loss of the season. And just like that, the Hotshots have found the light. They are back in the playoff race in the Western Conference. And now... They are facing the San Diego fleet on Sunday. This game is at 4 p.m. These teams are tied at 3-3. Three and three. They're second and third in the Western Conference. Whoever wins this game, that gives them a big leg up in trying to make the playoffs. The hot shots are currently favored by 3.5. The over-under is 39.5 or 40. Any injury news and notes? Yeah, so for San Diego, San Diego, if you watched that game last week, you definitely saw Dantes Ford just continuously breaking loose and getting hawked inside the 10-yard line. He unfortunately got hurt, ankle injury, started the week off in a walking boot. Mike March said he was hopeful uh, he'd be able to play, but, I mean, it, does, it doesn't look good at this point. And for Arizona, uh, Jarrell Presley, he's been limited again with a wrist injury. This has been a thing for a few weeks, so nothing to really worry about. Rashad Ross has a shoulder injury. He's been limited. He's like the Tyreek Hill, Julio Jones of the AAF, both in production and then every time Rashad Ross catches a pass and gets tackled, he's like limping off the field holding something and then before you can like refresh Twitter to see if he's hurt you see he's already back out on the field and he's still played 90% of the snaps every week so he's banged up but I think he's gonna be out there just isn't 100% but Rashad Ross the warrior and he's gonna do everything he can to keep scoring touchdowns out and on rate. This uh, Rashad Ross phenomenon of getting injured and uh, always seeing a little, seeming a little bit hobbled, that's something that like extends back to his college days too. Um, <laughs> it was like, I remember from college uh, daily fantasy, it was just something that was always kind of annoying. And uh, you would always have to follow the beat writers to see, is he actually playing this week? Like how injured is his ankle? Uh, so yeah, it, that's, that's just something that just kind of goes along with him. Let's talk about the San Diego offense versus the Arizona defense. 
Yeah, so we've seen the San Diego offense for a few weeks now with Mike Bercovici. He's not very accurate. I mean, he's completing around 50, 55% of his passes in these games, but he's still getting to 300 yards because he has no problem with throwing downfield. I mean, the guy's a gunslinger at heart, and he's got the arm strength to do so. Sometimes you know, we'll see bad interceptions, he'll have some overthrows, but he's got guys like, especially Dantes Ford, if he's able to play, I mean, again, 182 yards on three receptions last week. It can't be overstated how explosive he is, both uh, you know, taking a short pass the distance and just going deep. So uh, Berkovici has a few weapons. We've seen Marcus Ball, Gavin Escobar, those tight ends uh, really play well at times as well. But it's a high upside and low floor offense, but they're never out of it because Berkovici does give them uh, that at least willingness to keep taking chances and keep them in the game. And that combined with a rushing game that, it got thrown off track a little bit when Bishop Sankey came back. You know, we had a nice one-two punch with Terrell Watson, Jaquan Gardner for the first half of the year, but it's still in, in a good spot overall. And we've seen Watson now kind of take that lead back role and have both Gardner and Sankey behind them. So I think the San Diego offense is actually uh, still moving in a positive direction. And they're, again, in any single game, thanks to Brookabishi. Okay, so here's one thing that <clears throat> I think is weird. Like, wouldn't you say that um, this backfield or this rushing attack, it feels like it's one of the better ones in the league, right? For sure. They are last in the league in fantasy points scored as a backfield, 21.8, which like that doesn't feel right, but um, it, I mean, it is, you know? So It's been, and, it's been a really rough stretch for uh, Jaquan Gardner, especially. Yeah. He had the one game where he busted off like an 80-yard touchdown run or something like that but since then it's been bad like eight carry nine yard type games I mean single digit fantasy performances again and again but Watson is like the safest one of the group because he at least has that goal line roll and we even saw him catch a touchdown last week where he had to make a nice adjustment and uh, fell down and rolled over into the end zone so it has been rough uh going for the backfield as a group with these fantasy points. Sankey hasn't done anything, but I do think Watson moving forward is the guy that can take advantage of it. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I should say there's nothing, and this information is coming from uh, noextrapoints.com. There's not much separating them in last place at 21.8 and the team that uh, ranks third, 23.7, which is Arizona. I mean, that's only a couple of points per game for the backfield. So like, that's, that's not that much, but um Still, I, I would have expected San Diego to be, uh, to be ranked higher just in terms of fantasy points scored for the backfield. But uh, I, I agree, Watson seems like the guy, uh, the guy moving forward. Let's talk about the other side of this matchup. We have the Arizona offense against the San Diego defense. The hot shots, you know, they opened the season scoring a lot of points. They haven't been as productive recently, but they're still one of the better offenses in the league. What should we expect? Yeah, that's the thing with Arizona. I mean, you know, fair play to them for beating Orlando last week, but wasn't a dominating performance and really haven't seen that dominating offense since the first few weeks of the season. Uh, John Wolford's turned things around a little bit these last few weeks, but it's still been just more efficient, turnover-free performances, almost like what I was talking about Salt Lake brings to the table, which is fine. You know, they got them a win last week against the only undefeated team. Uh, maybe that's what they need to do. But at the same time, they're not the number two offense that I think we thought they were to start the season behind Orlando. They're more of a above-average, middle-of-the-pack team that has the potential of playing better, but definitely has a fairly low floor as well. And I think it's a bad matchup for them this week because San Diego has pretty much the best front seven in the entire league. They're uh, 
easily the best team pass rusher, Demarche Moore and those guys. Really good at consistently getting the quarterback. And they're a second-ranked defense in yards allowed per carry. So they really force teams to uh, try to become one-dimensional and throw the ball. And when you're doing that against San Diego, you better get the ball out quick. Otherwise, you're going to be on your back. So we said it, man. Rashad Ross is always banged up, but he's actually on the injury report this week. So I think he's a little more banged up. And Arizona's just had problems creating big plays that they haven't been going to Ross. Uh, if Presley... Tim Cook and that backfield's not able to get going, which it's a tough matchup against a really good front seven. Like I said, I have my doubts if uh, Walford and those guys are going to be able to get back to that early season success because this is a tough matchup. So, uh, In terms of the lines here, do you have a lean on this? Like I'm looking at it like this, this line feels pretty close to, to right to me, but uh, do you have a way you're leaning? Yeah, agree. I'm, I'm still with Orlando line as number one in my uh, best bets this week, but I'm, I'm picking the dog again. I like San Diego plus three and a half. I just think they have the better offensive line and they have the better defensive line. So uh, with the skill position players, you know, somewhat equaled out and Berker Beach, yeah, at least able to keep them in the game. If uh, things go south for a bit, I'll, I'll take the points. Where, uh, where would this line have to move for you not to bet San Diego? If it moved to three, would you stay away from it? Two and a half or under is when I think I jumped to Zona. Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, let's go to the last game on the slate, the uh, 8 p.m. game on Sunday, uh, the Birmingham Iron, the 4-2 and two Birmingham Iron at the Memphis Express. Uh, I mean, if the, <clears throat> if the Legends aren't the worst team in the league, then I think the Express pretty clearly are. Um, how dare you? Even after this massive upgrade under center? <laughs> okay, well, fine. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I think the Iron are uh, – I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say that their style of football is impressive, um, but I think they clearly are one of the better teams in the league. Um, so I think we have a, a clear top three team going against a clear top – Sorry, a clear bottom three team here. Uh, the Iron are favored by only three, which I think that line is off. Uh, the over-under is 36 and a half, 37. Uh, any injury news and notes? And this, of course, is the point where you talk about Johnny Manziel at some point. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll start with Birmingham. Uh, backup running back Brandon Ross wasn't able to play last week with a groin injury. He's still looking iffy. Trent Richardson, one-man show, should continue. And then uh, Tobias Palmer, backup wide receiver, was a DMP with an illness this week. Big thing for DFS, guys. We got another min price receiver uh, to take advantage of. Amba at the uh, Sorry if I butchered that. He started in week one. He hasn't played the rest of the year. He was limited all last week, and he was a game-time decision. Didn't end up playing, but it's a good sign, at least, that he he's had now two full weeks of practice where he's been on the practice field. And he's not even listed on the injury report this week. So, especially with the Palmer uh, injury going on. I think we could see this guy go, come on the field, play at least 50% of their snaps or so. Cause even, even if uh, we've seen LaDamian Washington kind of emerge as a number two to Quentin Patton, there's still kind of a hole at the number three spot for Birmingham and for only three K. I mean, it's exactly what happened with uh, Richard Mullaney last week in Arizona. And we saw him come back to a pretty good snap rate. So definitely a spot to keep an eye on. And yeah, Johnny football is in Memphis. Everyone. I uh, couldn't be more excited about this. Zach Mettenberger got put on IR last week so, sorry to mettenberger but um man, I've, I've been at johnny stand for a very very long time and unfortunately it's going to be a week or so it looks like until we actually get to see him play too much mike singletary uh, already confirmed that brandon sobers will continue to be the starting quarterback which is fair i mean he didn't play that bad in relief last week and it's hard to bench a guy that's been on the team for months for someone that he just signed uh, literally a week ago but 
Um, could be bad news for whoever's under center because both starting receivers, Alton Pick Howard and Reese and Reese Horn, weren't able to practice on Thursday. So, other than their newly acquired former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, <laughs> I agree with you that Memphis is one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah. So you you wrote an article on uh, Johnny Manziel and how he immediately is uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the AAF. You might have even said he was the top quarterback <laughs> in the AAF. Uh, can you give us the the quick case for why you think uh, he's the best guy in the league? Yeah, I'm not even – like, look, Garrett Gilbert's played awesome. He's in a better system. Uh, Johnny coming – this is a terrible situation for Johnny to come into and try to find some success with. But just take any of these guys, and uh, I've analyzed all their preseason numbers, their college numbers, and their brief NFL numbers, and Johnny's at the top of it because none of these guys have any – resemblance of NFL success because they're in the AAF right now. So uh, Johnny, yes, he very much underwhelmed for a first round pick. He was like 37th out of 40th, I think among uh, quarterbacks that started eight games during his two years in the NFL. I'm not saying this guy was a successful NFL player, but none of these quarterbacks were successful NFL players. And Johnny was by far, no questions asked the best college football quarterback of the group. And even in his NFL time where he wasn't, uh, performing very consistently, we still did see that uh, him make those Johnny Menzel type plays where rolled out the pocket, took some chances downfield. Him and uh, Travis Benjamin and that Kyle Shanahan offense made a few plays together. So it's uh, one of those situations where maybe the uh, overall roster won't allow Johnny to to fulfill his potential in these next few weeks. But I do think if uh, they if the AF had another quarterback draft in Week Eight, I don't see how Johnny Menzel doesn't go one based on his ability to play the position. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, over under on uh, when Johnny Manziel becomes the starting quarterback for the team, I would say after three quarters of this game is the line, like three three quarters. What I got, I got under. I think he'll be in before the forty-five minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> you think he'll, he'll be in maybe yeah. at halftime. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> at the very least, I think we're going to see some packages, and once we do, man, I mean. We thought uh, Marquise Williams and San Antonio for a bit could maybe get that job, but there are no dual-threat quarterbacks in this league right now. So especially for DFS, I mean, his, his ownership is going to be something else. I bet we're going to see some people owning him this week, even though he's not starting. But uh, Johnny's got that real fantasy-friendly uh, willingness to throw a deep ball and ability to go run some. So it, I'm, I'm hoping we see it soon because I can't wait to roster him. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the lines here um, – Birmingham minus three. I have them closer to, I'd say like six. Um, so I'm, I'm clearly leaning in that direction. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is right up there with Orlando. I think as the best bets and definitely Birmingham minus three, you said it. I mean, they've been a top three team all season and they've been having to do it handcuffed. This, this team clearly wants to have a dominating defense, which they've had with a offense. I can take some shots, which we did see last week with Luis Perez son came back in, uh, Quentin Patton has shown ability downfield with Damian Washington got loose for some big plays. So they do have some pass game weapons, even if they're inconsistent. The problem is they're averaging 2.9 yards per carry as a team this year. And it's, it's been so bad. Trent Richardson, he, he, he's a bull near the goal line. I mean, kudos to him. He's actually making some really good plays as a receiver, but if they could just run the ball with even like below average success and just not be atrocious, I think this team would be so much better off. And in this game against a Memphis defense that we've seen them be average, but we also saw them really at the beginning of the year, particularly against Birmingham, actually in week one, where 
when their offense couldn't get moving and kind of force them to be on the field a lot, they did wilt a little bit towards the end of the game. So I think it's the situation where maybe Memphis can keep it close for the first few quarters, but I think Birmingham has the firepower on defense and willingness to keep running it and maybe take some big play chances to also wear out the, uh, on the other side of the ball. Yeah. So it's interesting. I have some thoughts on, on this offense. So um, I think it's maybe a little bit of a red herring that they are so bad at running the ball um, because whether, I mean, unless you're like running for like six or seven yards per carry, like you're going to be inefficient in comparison to throwing the ball no matter what. So whether they're getting 2.9 yards per carry or like four yards per carry, I mean, obviously the extra yardage would be good, but I think the problem is that they're just running the ball so much uh, as opposed to throwing the ball a little bit more. Um, But with that said, like, I I mean, and and you touched on Trent Richardson's ability as a receiver, he's sixth in the league with 39 targets on the year. Like you can, you know, so like he's getting like wide receiver type of target share. Um, so even if he's not producing all that well on the ground, you know, he's going to get a, a touchdown either on the ground or through the air. You know, he's going to get a lot of targets if he's able to just roll his way to even a few yards on the ground. That's just kind of gravy. But like uh, in a macro picture, I think what hurts this offense isn't so much that they're not all that great at running the ball. It's just that they continue to run uh, at the expense of passing. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and I get it. You know, you don't need to necessarily have an effective run game to set up the play action game. I think we've seen studies over the last year or two that have really shown that statistically as well. But it's just one of those things where, like, assuming Luis Perez uh, continues to start, and we've seen him really, really have problems with his mobility, getting outside the pocket, yeah. creating more plays. So I do think maybe Birmingham just having a little bit of a run game could help him out because he has had such a hard time other than last week of getting really getting the ball downfield. But yeah, I mean, it, and also if, if you're running the ball this poorly, obviously at some point you should switch to more of a passing attack and change your scheme up to help uh, your roster a little bit better. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's close this out with some, uh, strategy talk in terms of fantasy. Uh, a quick reminder, the fan ball format is quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and then three flexes. Uh, Ian, let's talk about some cash game players you like. Yeah, so I'm sticking with my same uh, core as last week. Squeeze in Trent Richardson, Charles Johnson, and Jarrell Presley, who we highlighted as a top value play last week. He had a nice RB2 performance. And we're going to do the same thing this week because Presley's price is only increased by $100. He's still painfully underpriced considering he's playing over 50% of his offensive snaps, and he's still one of only four running backs averaging at least 15 combined carries and targets per game so uh with that top build i'm down i'm fine to pay down at qb particularly i'm looking at logan woodside and san antonio i mentioned before i love all their skill position players hopefully we get one of mikhail and uh mikhail mckay or demarcus Ayers out and that'll help things if Ayers is out i'm fine going to alonzo more otherwise i think he's got to stick with greg ward which he's fine even if those two guys play so there's opportunity there and then filling out the lineup uh it gives us about 45 to 4,900 left. I like Terrell Watson or Richard Mullaney. Just, again, these starters that are going to be on the field for the whole game. I think that gives us a nice floor. Okay. Uh, GPP talk. First, I want to float this idea. Uh, I should say, I know it's a bad idea. I just, I'll, I'll start. I know it's a bad idea. If you are really high on Johnny Manziel and you think he's going to be playing most of the second half and maybe even getting some first half action uh, in, in little packages, um, no one is going to be starting him. 
uh, unless they sort of miss the memo that he's not actually starting uh, the game. But no one is going to start him in, in their lineups. Do you think there would be any sort of contrarian edge to putting him in one GPP lineup and maybe stacking him with the receiver? I mean, yeah, we're, we're playing AAF DFS. Yeah, play Johnny Menzel, right? What's, what's the point if you're not doing it? But uh, no, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I remember earlier in the year, I put Marquise Williams over Christian Hackenberg in a fancy rankings thing. So it was like, okay, we know this guy isn't going to have the same amount of snaps, but the snaps he is going to be out there for, uh, we have a reasonable high chance of him getting some rushing opportunities and maybe taking some big play chances. So I, I don't hate the idea, but my uh, – problem with it is i don't think he's going to be zero percent owned i i think we're actually going to see maybe uh i don't know 10 percent lineups with johnny i yeah it doesn't, it doesn't make sense but i just think people want to click it and want to go for it yeah you you might be right there uh okay so in terms of the realistic gpp <laughs> options uh who's catching your eye yeah so uh the quarterbacks i think burke beachy is really the only guy that can threaten garrett gilbert's ceiling I mentioned before him just throwing downfield uh all the time even if he's pretty inaccurate he at least gives you that chance for upside and then i uh, mentioned the guys before trent richardson zach stacy kenneth farrow and presley are the league's workhorses also have joel joel boagna and jay boogie terrell watson and Ernest johnson are the only other running backs playing over 50 percent of their offensive snaps i think you got to pay up at running back and get these guys that you know again the touches it's just really thin elsewhere especially this week uh, there's a lot of cheap value at wide receiver Memphis uh, wide receiver Daniel Williams had 11 targets last week in his first game and I uh, mentioned before how Reese Horn, Pig Howard and their starters are hurt so Williams is still uh, under even though he had a big price jump because of that uh, he's still underpriced considering he's going to be walking into a starting job again and then also uh, Richard Mullaney, Freddie Martino, Brian Brown, Tobias Palmers all guys that both sub 5k salaries and played at least 75 percent of their snaps last week and again the 3k salary saver of the week Amba Etta Tao. He's number one in my uh, AAF, the, the, the little Excel model we've been putting together in uh, each week's article and uh, opportunities over dollar metrics. So uh, the next closest salary saver, Brian Timms, who played 70% snaps last week and came in at 3,100. So uh, like I've been saying, I love the San Antonio value this week. Pay up a running back, pay down a quarterback and wide receiver. And I think mostly just avoid tight ends. I mean, we've seen Keith Tobridge, Wes Saxton, some of these guys make some plays, but like even the highest like target share tight ends are still seeing fewer than four targets per game. So it, I think just don't worry about the position and it, it, we're going to see some short touchdowns from it. But I think in, in the long run, we're better off just focusing on wide receivers and running backs. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and uh, I, I want to uh, second your AMBA ET take. Uh, I am, I am an AMBA truther. So let's go. Um, we have our week seven AAF rankings out there on the site. Uh, you and I contribute to those as well as Sean Corner, uh, whose weekly power rankings and projected lines are up on the site. Uh, Ian, what other Alliance content should people find at the Action Network and Fantasy Labs? Yeah, we got the week seven AAF DFS breakdown already up live on Fantasy Labs. Uh, big header this week is San Antonio is full of value, as we were discussing here. Ultimate Guide should be up shortly uh, by the time this podcast is posted. And, yeah, if you guys want to read my uh, breakdown on why Johnny Manziel is the AAS best quarterback, uh, that is also on the Action Network. All right, that is going to do it. For this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast, please rate and review the show in iTunes. For Ian, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. See you again next episode. 